This week's episode is brought to you in partnership with Zero Procure. Zero Procure takes the time to understand your business, whether in hospitality or any other industry, and do all the heavy lifting when it comes to procurement. I'm delighted that their support will keep this show accessible and free to listen to wherever you access your podcasts. Please get in touch with them for a chat. Just click on the link in the show notes or visit their site at zeroprocure.com forward slash podcast. Welcome to a special episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. In our bonus episodes, we like to give some airtime to stories and individuals that are doing something just that little bit special. Today's guests are Chris Mitchell and Robbie Laidlaw, who are crazy enough to be rowing the Atlantic all to raise funds for hospitality action. Coming up on today's show... Robbie identifies a potential snag in the plan. The other thing about training is that when we started it, we realised very quickly that we both absolutely hate rowing. Phil speaks the truth... And I think if, uh, if Tom Carriage is going to dehydrate food, it's going to be better than all of the other dehydrated food, isn't it? And Chris tells us how they will battle through the tough times. We, we're obviously going to download all of your podcasts to take with us. All that and so much more as we chat through the who, the what and the why behind this incredible challenge. Before you get stuck into the episode, I have a small favour to ask. Chris and Robbie would be eternally grateful if you could head over to Instagram and give them a follow. Just look up spirit underscore of underscore hospitality. This act alone will help them make big strides forward in their fundraising. The link for that and their website will also be in the show notes. A huge thank you to Chris and Robbie for what they're doing and I can't wait to see this unfold. Enjoy. And a huge hospitality meets welcome to Robbie Laidlaw and Chris Mitchell from the Genuine Dining Company. How are you guys? Yeah, really good. Thank you. Very well. Great. Yeah. Well, uh, the um, for clarity, if you haven't read the show notes before you join in on this this chat, normally this is a one to one show, but uh, there's a reason why we've got two people on the podcast today, and that is because they're about to embark, or certainly have probably already started embarking on the most ridiculous of all challenges that I've ever heard of in my life, uh, which we'll come on to very, very soon. But before we get into that, one by one, just tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what it is that you do. My name is Chris Mitchell, and I am the CEO of a group of companies that we call Group Genuine. We're predominantly contract caterers, uh, and we deliver food to people at work, but we do also have an events business and a reception business. Great stuff. And what's your background, Chris? How did you how did you get there? My background's always been hospitality. I um, started working at McDonald's when I was seventeen, I think, and uh, it was being uh, dyslexic and the school system not really working for me. I think it was the first time I found an activity that I was reasonably good at, and I binned in university. I was going to university to train to be a film editor and decided to have a career in hospitality, which I've never looked back, to be honest. I think, you know, the hospitality industry is such a great industry because the barriers to entry are so low. I mean, I think, you know, anyone can find a, well, not anyone, but you need, you know, anyone can find a job in hospitality. And I think then the opportunities in our sector are just fantastic. So, but yeah. that's, how I, that's how I got into it. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, that's, sounds like a cracking story actually and we should probably do a one-to-one at some point in the future because the um that's like you're the barrier to entry is nothing right and you kind yeah. of you're demonstrated and now you're a ceo as well of a of an organization so in the face of uh you know what did they used to say back in the day when i think you and i are from a similar generation if uh the dyslexia was put into the stupid category yeah you got it. Yeah, I mean, my whole life, I 
uh, well, my whole school life, my academic life, if you like, was being uh, branded as stupid or not smart. And it's frustrating when you know that you are relatively intelligent and you can know what you want to do. And then it's frustrating how, from a dyslexic point of view, how the how academia and schools don't tailor their training to anything vocational. So yeah, Yeah. it's, it's, but yeah, fantastic industry. It's been great for me. I love it. Yeah. Brilliant. And over to you, Robbie, what, what is it you, you do within the organization? Uh, I am the business development director for genuine dining. I've been here for about five years. And prior to that, I was the event manager at springboard where, uh, Chris and I first met when I organized the team velo ride from London to Paris. And then shortly after that came across the genuine dining. Got you. And how, how did you get into to hospitality? What was your kind of route in? Uh, well, oh God, a bit of a, bit of a long story, but when I was, um, when I was working in Edinburgh, I was an event manager. I went to uh, Napier University. I studied a bit of event management. And uh, I thought you studied drinking. Yes, and that, of course. <laughs> that's, comes, that's a given, right? I mean, that's, that's part and parcel. Absolutely. So I, I did a little bit in Edinburgh. And when I came down to London, I was fortunate enough to uh, fall into Springboard and then worked my way across into Genuine Dining. I haven't really had much experience of working in the hospitality industry before coming to Genuine Dining, to be honest, but like Chris, absolutely loved it as soon as I got into it and uh, found a real passion for uh, the people and the passion that people have for the industry. And yeah, not look back. Absolutely love it. Brilliant. And now you're about to sit in a boat with your boss for <laughs> I keep telling everyone that this is a long-term job retention scheme for me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it could go either way, right? <laughs> I've no experience of sailing or rowing or the ocean or anything like this. When we first introduced ourselves to the challenge, it was a bit of a step into the blue, to be honest, but developed that passion as we got into it. But yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, let's just get into it because you're, you're, well, you're doing, well, actually, you guys tell me, what is it that you are doing and for who and for why? So on the 12th of December this year, Chris and I are going to be rowing across the Atlantic, 3,000 miles from Lagomera in the Canary Islands to Antigua uh, in the Caribbean. It's part of a organised race called the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge. And the year that we're doing, that's going to be roughly about 45 boats part of the race. And they are solos and pairs like Chris and I, threes, fours, and I think there's a couple of teams of five as well. Uh, we're doing it in a boat, which is about seven and a half metres long. It's made out of carbon fibre. It was the fastest rowing boat to ever cross the Atlantic as a two-man boat. So we stepped up our game a little bit and we've got an absolute uh, Formula One car of a, of a boat so we need to really do it justice. So we've put a little bit of pressure on ourselves there to try and do it as long as we, uh, as, as short as we possibly can. Uh, yeah. The crossing that the boat that we have did it in previously was 32 days but they had pretty good weather and to be honest I think with Chris and I in it we're probably looking at more like 45, 50 days, hopefully less if we can. So the rowing structure, when Chris and I are in the boat, is two hours on and two hours off. So breaking the day down into four-hour days, really. So for the total duration while we're on the water, we'll be sleeping for a maximum of two hours. But of course, you're never going to get that much sleep. So by the time you have cleaned yourself, you've eaten, you've done your boat maintenance, you're probably looking at roughly an hour, an hour 15 or so of sleep. So the challenge itself, 
as well as incredibly physical is going to be incredibly mentally difficult as well. Um, the uh, strains on your body, the strains of our relationship, the strains of that relentless work uh, to sleep ratio is going to be extremely tolling. The, the race is actually happening at the moment. Most of the boats are in, but a few of them are still out there. We were on a call with the organizers the other day saying the average person loses about 10% of their body weight when they come off wow. due to the full physical nature of it. Uh, so it's an incredibly daunting challenge. The time that it takes to get across 40 days of doing two hours on, two hours off is a little bit, can't really comprehend what that's going to be like. So yes, I mean, we've never done anything like this. Chris and I, we've done marathons, we've done bike rides and things like this. <laughs> Uh, we've never we've never had any sailing well Chris has had little sailing experience I've had none we certainly haven't had any rowing experience so we've been learning from the beginning to try and get as much experience in boat as possible but seeing and speaking to people that have done it before it's a truly life-changing experience um, it really puts into context what is important in life um, and when you come off you've really got a different outlook on on life work-life balance and what's important so it's yeah it's it's a true it's it's certainly a physical challenge but also that that mental side of things is going to be really tough yeah and you'll be looking for a new job at the end of it probably as well, well because, uh, it's, be... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> chris and i we get on really well so um i hope that's not the case of course uh but we do have and do hear stories of people that have come off the boat and have never talked to each other. In fact, we were told a story a couple of months ago of a pair that was rowing the Atlantic and they got to the halfway point and one of them turned to the other one and decided it was a good idea to tell him that he was having an affair with his wife at that point. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is not happening, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> well, that's a really... It, it's, uh... I don't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah, so there's, there's been there's been lots of instances where people come off the both boats and um, never talk to each other. But I think it's more about before you get on the boat, being as open and honest with each other as possible. Um, and while we're out there, being as open and as honest as we possibly can, so we know how each other are feeling, what's annoying each other, so that we do get to the other side and we're still good friends. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lesson for life, if ever I've heard one, right? Let's just be open and honest with each other, and yeah. a lot it'd be a lot easier. But anyway, that's that's probably a podcast for another time. But um, yeah, so Chris, who are you doing this for? So <clears throat> we're doing it for Hospitality Action, which is a charity that <clears throat> is really close to our business and ourselves we um have all we've been affiliated to hospitality action for a number of years now our first interaction with them we used to own a chain of restaurants called feng sushi and um in the borough market terror attacks uh, our team were, were very close to the action so to speak in fact so close that they managed to lock the door as one of the terrorists was running at them um, and they managed to hide themselves in the basement, and thank goodness they were all unharmed. However, the, the first thing we did was contacted Hospitality Action and said, obviously told them what had happened, and the response from Hospitality Action was absolutely fantastic. They had a counsellor with our team the next day uh, and basically gave them as much support as they needed for as long as they needed it. And a lot of the guys that were involved in that still work for us now. And I think, you know, the, the 
gratitude that those team members had towards hospitality action was fantastic. So I think that was the first catalyst to our kind of involvement with hospitality action. Um, and following that, COVID was grim, right? I mean, we had, I think our turnover dropped to 5%. We were in the depths of despair, really. Um, and due to the nature of our business, we had to reduce our staffing numbers, which was horrific for us. We'd always been a business that had grown and we'd always looked at how we give our staff and team members opportunities. And it was the first time in our existence that we were looking at having to cut numbers. And whilst the company did as much as we could to support our people, where there was help and support needed that we couldn't give, Hospitality Action stepped in uh, and Mark and his team were just fantastic. And I think it's a charity that has a very simple mission, you know, to help hospitality people that have fallen on hard times, regardless of how long you'd worked in the sector. It's really, it's just a, it's just a great uh, initiative. Um, and I think now more than ever with this cost of living crisis, I think hospitality people need support more than ever. And, you know, we, we were, we, we were obviously very close to the charity and the number of claims that they're getting now, people asking for support has gone up 35%, I believe, and yeah. that is rising. So I think in terms of the charity, it was a, it was a no brainer. And I think from our, you know, from what I was saying at the beginning, I think that if you have an industry that has low barriers to entry and is a great industry to grow and develop in, uh, hospitality action, if they can help people have the same experiences that we've had in the sector, that can only be a good thing. You know, if we can keep people in the sector and make sure they're supported, I think that's a great thing to do. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, um, you know, look at my career and there's, there was nothing, you know, I, Growing up, uh, we didn't have loads of money. I haven't come from a privileged background. You know, it, it's just graft and hard work and that, that's got us here. And I think hospitality action makes sure that people can continue to, to have these great experiences in our sector. Yeah, I, I have um, earlier in the, in the week, I had uh, Mark on uh, to tell his story. That's, uh, if you haven't listened to that already, please do so. And, you know, he used the word... In, in discussions, it's a safety net. It's a, a wonderful safety net for the industry to have that resource available. And it's not just a financial safety net. You know, it's, as you say, it's like that counselling element, if that's what people need. And it comes in many, many forms for, for various different circumstances. And I think as a sector, we are phenomenally lucky to have a charity like that being there for us all in our time of need. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I think... If looking back three years ago, I don't think we would ever have thought that our industry would have been through so much pain. Um, yeah. And I think that they've been a really good constant and, you know, sounding board and support for so many people. So that the charity bit was pretty easy. The reason we did the row was probably, I think some of those reasons are why we did it. I think that they gave so much to the the, the sector we thought, you know, we we would be able to give something back. We we as Robbie said before, we'd always done every year. We'd done charity bike rides for. It was that we actually used to do a lot of sport for Springboard as well. So we were arranging a bike ride, which had, I think, the last one had about a hundred riders. So it was quite a big event. Um, and in the middle of COVID, when me and Robbie were probably at the depths of despair, we thought we could do London to Paris in the middle of COVID and row the Channel. Um, so like a ship. Yeah, we just thought we'd do human-powered London to Paris because I think there was issues with 
ferries or I don't know. There was a reason that we couldn't get a ferry across with our bikes. And uh, so to, to row the channel, we would need an ocean rowing boat, which we started researching. And I think one night I sent, I, I was Googling ocean rowing boats and found the Talisker race, the Atlantic campaigns race, and sent a link to Robbie and said, what do you think about this? And he said, yeah, I think it's a great idea. And I said, so do I. Um, but uh, I'm not sure if my wife will agree. Yeah. And uh, yeah, um, and my my wife, Danielle, she, I sat down and said, listen, I, I look at this race, don't think it's great. And she just turned around and said, I think you should No. Oh, really? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's because she's having an affair with Robbie, and I don't think Robbie's having an affair I think, um, and I, I mean, get on very well, actually, so I don't know why she wants to lose me for just over a month. But I think, uh, I think the other thing that was really difficult in COVID was our mental health, and I think that we needed something that we could focus on that wasn't work and something that we could train towards and something that was different and it and it I think that that was the reason why you know we got a resounding yes from our friends and families was because you know I think they all realized that we needed something to focus on that was going to be positive yeah but yeah I thought you know the the, the main goal is to raise 250,000 pounds for hospitality action we knew to raise that sort of money it would have to be an activity that was pretty uh big in terms of you know getting people to support and again, the, the industry's responded incredibly well. Like we've we've had the most incredible support from you know other competitors of ours and uh, suppliers and you know equipment to provide. I mean, you name it, that we've had support from it. So it's that's really exciting. Yeah, I, I can imagine why though, because it's it's one of those situations whereby you have like it's such a monumental challenge. And I had I'd actually written down in my notes before we we got started that like I. I can understand you wanting to do this, Chris, because I think you and I are from similar generation. So this is a midlife crisis, right? So, um, <laughs> but Robbie, you've got no excuse. But uh, yeah, in any case, but it, it's it's one of those things whereby when you, people find out what it is that you're looking to achieve, like it takes a, spe- a, a very special person to not say no to you now, like, you know, to because this is, for who you're doing it for, the magnitude of what what you're actually doing, it's just incredible, and I I think um I can I can see why people are quite happy to support and get behind you. Yeah, the support's been absolutely amazing. We've got um an incredible bunch of sponsors on board already that are helping get us to the start line. Competitors, we've had a fantastic response from competitors. It's, it's absolutely brilliant, as well as maintenance companies and equipment companies and suppliers. Everyone from across the industry has all come together. Great chefs on board, <clears throat> which is really exciting. So we've got, so far out in the open, Tom Kerridge is going to do a meal for us, which is really exciting. So we're hoping that he's going to do um, Christmas Day for us so we can have um, something a bit tastier than a dehydrated, what was the one that you said the other day? Salmon and pasta. Oh, oh yes, yeah. salmon and cream pasta. Dehydrated. Nom, nom, nom. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, we've had, it's just been amazing. I mean, the support has been amazing. And I think that, again, demonstrates what a great sector we're in. Yeah. And I think if uh, if Tom Carriage is going to dehydrate food, it's going to be better than all of the other dehydrated food, mm, isn't it? I think so. <laughs> yeah. So 
training. When did you start training for this? A little while ago, actually. Um, we've probably been training for it uh, lightly for the. At last... least you didn't say, "Oh, we haven't started yet." <laughs> exactly. No. Yeah. About about yeah, about a year and a half ago, we, it was actually during COVID. Chris and I, we we got ourselves a couple of rowers. We were rowing at home. We didn't really know what we were doing, but we knew we were going to sign up to this challenge. So we thought we would get some ergs at home and uh, and knock out some miles. So we've been doing it for a little while. It certainly has ramped up in the last couple of months, that's for sure. We always were going to come into this year and uh, turn it up a little bit. But it was, um, yeah, about a year and a half ago, we actually started doing some stuff. We, we got our boat in October 21. So we've had a summer of being out on the ocean. So we take the boat. It, it's, it's housed in one of our contracts uh, near Watford at the moment in a car park, which is a bit of a shame. But we right. are going on this Sunday, driving down to the south coast and going out from Limington and into the Solent for a day. And you can't really beat training. You need to be out in the ocean. Um, so you can do as much work in the gym. But what we've been told is get out on your boat as much as you possibly can. The more that we know how the boat reacts in certain weather and wind and how it goes over waves and how we move around the boat, how we fix the boat. Uh, that's that's the most important thing. You can get across there fine without doing any training, but you won't be able to get across if something breaks. You won't be able to fix it. So that's what we're doing this weekend. And we're going out on the soil and we're going to get some time on the water, which will be good fun. Cold, but it'll be good fun. I think training, it, it, I mean, that is the difficult part, really, <clears throat> given that we're also running a business. Um, so, yeah, lots of very early mornings um, and lots of late evening training. So yeah, we're, we're uh, trying to fit it in as much as we can. But yeah, I think we're probably training six days a week at the moment. Yeah, there's there's a there's a physical training. So there's a gym training that we're doing, like Chris says, six days a week, either doing some strength stuff or doing some long rows on the erg, which is incredibly boring, by the way. The other thing about the training <laughs> is that when we started it, we realised very quickly that we both absolutely hate rowing. Well, I mean, that might have been worth finding out before you signed up for something yeah. like this but then I, I suppose it's it's also one of those things whereby you know it's a challenge right so you've picked something that if you hate rowing as well like it's going to challenge every single fiber of your being it's a bit yeah. stupid though isn't it <laughs> you don't enjoy for that longer period of time i mean i think like when you're out on the boat it's it is amazing you see some amazing things. It's nice to be in a different environment. Um, I love the water. I grew up near the sea, so so did Robbie, actually. So I think that the, the sea is somewhere I feel very comfortable. But, yeah, to choose an activity that you just don't really enjoy is probably a bit dopey. <laughs> yeah. So the, so the physical training is, 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 is fine. It's, yeah, it's long hours, but it's, it's, it's fine to do. The mental training is the one that we're trying to get our heads around at the moment because we can't train for that. And a lot of people, previous rowers, have all said that the best thing that we can possibly do for each other is sit down and talk about how we're feeling, how can we be as open as we possibly can when we're on the boat and we're on the water so that nothing takes us by surprise. If we were in big weather and it's scary, let's talk about how scary it is. Or if something is annoying me, if Chris turns up late for a shift 10 minutes late, I can tell him that I'm annoyed. Don't hold anything back. That's when you start falling out. You start getting arguments because yeah. when we're out on the o- in the ocean and we're incredibly sleep deprived, things are going to build up on us very quickly. And I think that's when you can start having a bad experience. So 
the mental side of things is something we can't really train for because we can't get far enough off the coast to experience 10 foot waves and experience big winds so the first time that we'll actually be faced with that is when we set off on Lagomera. Yeah. So it's realizing what we've got ourselves into and having to deal with it before we're actually in it. And I think that's 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 going to be the hardest part of training that we're going through. Yeah, and I suppose that's that's why it's important to get into that kind of groove of of being so open and honest, regardless of whether. You know, you got to get comfortable with the the uncomfortable conversations, right? That's you know, if if there is that moment, because you've also got the the other thing you can't, I would imagine, train for is the it's like the isolation, and you're out in the middle of yeah. the Atlantic. I mean, I I, I assume that there are uh, safety measures in place for for stricken issues and things like that, but nevertheless, if you're in the middle of nowhere, you can't just say, right, do you know what? Forget it. I'm off. Yeah, you know, you've, you've got to deal with it head on, haven't you? Yeah, and in fact, the safety team from the race have, have explained how that does happen a lot. You get a lot of teams that, you know, we, we had this conversation today, but you have a lot of teams that, you know, get three weeks in and say, do you know what, I don't want to do it. And the, they phone the safety team and say, we're done. Um, and the safety team say, well, I'm really sorry. You, you have to complete it because there isn't the ability to, come and rescue we we were talking about a long bike ride the other day we were watching a documentary and people were just dropping out because they were done halfway through this bike ride you just can't do that once you set out you can't just turn around and come back like you you have to make it the whole way across and i think mentally that will be very challenging we're obviously going to download all of your podcasts to take with us (laughs) and along the way as well so, yeah, I'll yeah. I'll try and up the ante on the comedy then going forward, yeah. so that um, you uh, yeah you get a little moment of joy every now and again. <laughs> I was going to say yeah, the other thing, the isolation. It will be solely isolated. The uh, Chris, Chris, although we're doing it as a pair, Chris and I will rarely see each other. Really, at the end of each of our shifts, we're going to have maybe have a five minute crossover, and then Chris will go to bed, and I'll carry on rowing. So it's really going to be two people slowly rowing across the, the Atlantic. So, yeah, the isolation side of things is going to be extremely difficult. Yeah. Well, I suppose, you know, it's just like a hospitality shift, really, isn't it? At the end of the day, you've done your two hours. Here's what happened. Here's what you need to be aware of. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, we'll be good at we'll be good at the handover notes. Yeah, indeed. I mean, it's all going to, I mean, obviously, the whole row is going to evolve around food. I mean, that that's the, the most exciting thing about our row is going to be food, of course, and... You know, we, I think we can eat can we eat seven thousand calories a day. Well, we can yeah. eat if you want, but you, I think you burn up to ten thousand calories a day. So, the highlight of the row is going to be uh, eating whatever we want for four to five days. Yeah, and I, well, now I, I can understand why it has to be dehydrated because if you've got forty potentially forty five, maybe I suppose depending on weather and stuff like that, maybe even longer. Yeah, you've got to have. Like you can't just can't just call Ocado just to nick out on their uh, emergency boat to to make a no. drop off to you. No, yeah, we t- so the boat our boat weighs 150 kilos, which is really light. Plus all the equipment that's on it makes it. A, I don't know what it is, but just equipment. Maybe 300 kilos, 400 kilos. The boat will be just over a ton when we leave, and we make our own water at sea. So there's hardly any water on board. So all of our all of our um, food. Yeah, it's going to be very heavy. And we have every day three meals 
and then the snack packs, which I'm most excited about, which is whatever you want to take, really. Mars bars and Robbie's got a particular liking for Percy Pigs. So uh, if anyone wants to sponsor a load of Percy Pigs, Robbie will be very happy. Um, But actually, yeah, again, like DDC Foods have said that they'll do all of our snack packs for us. So, yeah, it's just... um, That's cool. Yeah, really cool. Like the, the support has been great. Yeah, but so we're looking forward to the food uh, as long as we don't get seasick too much. Yeah, well, I, I suppose if you've been out in the boat and a bit of swell uh, already, have, have have you experienced that, or have you yet to experience inclement weather? We've had some decent weather. Like we've had, probably had, I don't know, maybe two meter waves, which is nothing. But um, we did have an issue with our rudder at one point, and. I felt a bit queasy then. I've never felt, never been seasick before. So I, I do think that there is a risk that we get. I think you did as well, didn't you, Robbie? You, you felt a bit queasy once. Yeah. As soon as soon as you're rowing, it's absolutely fine. It, the moment you step into the cabin and you start looking at screens and you lose a horizon out of your peripheral vision, it all starts coming a bit queasy and you feel a bit sick. But as soon as you get back outside again, I felt okay. So touch wood, there'll be no seasickness. But I would imagine that at least one of us are going to get it. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other thing that we have to talk about is toilet. I mean, I also think there's no one board toilet, right? So there's been no resting on ceremony with um, with that no, part of the journey. Get, Chris and I are going to get to know each other really well. <laughs> <laughs> there's, um, yeah, of course, no toilet on board. Non sweet bucket. Yeah. <laughs> and then you chuck it. It's very, yeah. very, uh, it becomes fish food. Yeah, it's very, uh, very um, eco-friendly, and you just feed it to a marlin. But yeah, it's not going to be that. That's probably one of the setbacks. There is no toilet. I mean, there's nothing. There's not a shower. There's not a toilet. It's uh, yeah. I mean, it's pretty grim to be honest. That part yeah. of the way. But I can see how. I mean, you know, it's no no getting away from it. It's a monumental challenge. But as you said at the beginning of of the show like a life-changing experience you're basically stripping stuff right back to basics right and then depriving yourself of sleep and amongst all of that you're probably going to be going into parts of yourself that you've didn't even knew existed and all of that yeah. sort of stuff i hope you've thought about this i'm not kind of releasing that out that was the first time you've ever <laughs> heard that what are we doing that what I don't, yeah but um so there's no question i think that you you'll walk off that boat at the other end in Antigua completely changed human beings. I think, you know, who couldn't do that and not be a little bit more humble and a little bit more, you know, I suppose, respectful of challenge, really? Yeah. It's, it's when, when you ask people, did you enjoy it? Everyone's first answer is absolutely not. No, I hated it. But the more you dig into it, the more they say, the row strips absolutely everything back. All you have to do is get up, row and sleep and eat. Yeah. And that simplicity is so far removed from everyone's day-to-day lives that it becomes addictive. And that's what people start missing. I've spoke to a few people that say they, would, they want to do it again because they want to get back to that simplistic life. They also say that the stars at night as well will draw them back in. Yeah. So with no light pollution or any lights around the stars and the Milky Way from the from the horizon to the horizon is just a full blanket of stars on a clear night. Yeah. You also say the opposite of that though. When it's a cloudy day, you can't see two inches in front of your eyes. You can't see the you can't see the person rowing next to you. You can't see right. the sea. You can't, it's all, 
everything is just by what you can hear around you. And so that's that's terrifying. But on the flip side of that, when the stars come out, it's breathtaking. So yeah, it would cer- certainly going to be a life changing experience seeing and experiencing those types of environments. Yeah, absolutely. Great stuff. Well, I mean, well, any any funny stories from your training so far? <laughs> I can think of one. Robbie took a dip when he shouldn't have. <laughs> okay. We were, we were. Uh, I mean, listen, we're, we're we're not boat people. I mean, I suppose we are now, but we we definitely weren't before. I mean, I I had sailed a bit, but the thing with a rowing boat is that obviously the only power you've got is the oars going in the water, so they're not really that powerful. So if you get high winds, they can become pretty hard to manage. And we had been for a row, I think we'd rowed around the Isle of Wight. We were really proud of ourselves. We'd done like 100 kilometres around the Isle of Wight. Um, and we came up towards Livington Harbour, feeling pretty proud of ourselves. And there was quite a strong crosswind. And um, there was no space to put Maria, our boat, uh, apart from this one section. And... The wind was blowing across so as we turned around we knew that we were going to come in pretty hot onto this jetty one of the main safety features that we have is that whenever we're outside the cabins we are tethered to the boat the idea being that if the boat capsizes or gets knocked over so it's at 90 degrees you're still attached to the boat the problem is when you're trying to get off the boat if you're still attached to the boat it does cause issue. So we, so we, 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 we're coming in hot to this jetty. It's all going wrong. We know it's going wrong. There's a sun seeker on one side, which is a multi-million pound cruising boat, and I think it was a another boat the other side that was also of reasonable value. <laughs> Robbie puts our boat hook out, which is a hook that you hook on. It's telescopic. It wasn't quite done up tight enough, so the, the pole just disappeared down to a normal size as we came to the jetty. Oy. Robbie jumped off the boat, still attached. The boat bounced off the jetty, pulled Robbie into the middle of the into the middle of the water, and Maria went straight into the front of this sunseeker, which had a blue hull and left a lovely white mark on this guy's hull. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was. It was. It wasn't that funny actually at the time. But what was even more funny is I saw our boat. I saw our boat flying into this uh, sunseeker. So my first thought is I need to get the boat away from the sunseeker. Uh, so I left Robbie bobbing around in the water while I go over and sort this boat out. Turn around and Robbie's being pulled out of the water by this old guy, which was very nice of him. The old guy owned the boat that we smashed into. So yeah, it was. It was an intre- It was definitely an interesting end to a pretty good row. <laughs> Not yeah. fine. And obviously, we had a full audience as well. There was at least 50 people watching. So, yeah. Well, I, I think you have to get used to leaving your pride at home, right? Anyway, with, and, yeah. and with what you're doing. But um, I guess less less people to see it in the middle of the Atlantic, however. Indeed. Yeah. Okay. Just the seagulls you've got to be uh, wary of yeah. out there. They know a lot more than they let on you. Yeah, they do. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I suppose that's a, that's a prime example of like, Stuff's gonna happen, isn't it? Like you're yeah. just gonna have to deal with it on the hoof as it as it kind of approaches you. I think so. I mean, I think that you know they've they've seen some massive weather this year. I think they had forty, fifty foot waves this year. So Jeez. I mean, in a seven and a half meter boat, that's pretty scary. There's been quite a few boats that have capsized, which is something that we 
mentally need to prepare ourselves for because the only time you're going to capsize is when there's big weather, which is probably the only time you don't want to be in the water. So that is a bit daunting. But on the whole, I think, you know, when all teams bar one have made it in this year's race. So, yeah, we're pretty confident. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just I suppose just being strong and consistent will get you there. Yeah, it's, I, yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, the, I think that the uh, purpose for doing it and the money for hospitality action, you know, will, will make that really worth it. No doubt. I, well, look, I mean, I am in awe of what you are trying to achieve, uh, I think. Was that pun on purpose? Yeah, in or yeah, very good, very good. Yeah, you can come back. <laughs> I think it's incredibly inspirational, and I think your reasons for doing it are are incredible. And all I would ask really is, if people want to get behind you in whatever form that looks like, whether it's monetary or support in other ways, what's the best method for them to do that? I mean, first of all, follow us on Instagram. So, spirit underscore of underscore hospitality. The more likes we get on Instagram, the easier it is for us to bring in sponsors. So so that would really help. Um, and from a sponsorship point of view, you know, get in touch. We, we'll um, Hopefully you'll be able to put our web address on your description, Phil. Yeah, of course. Um, and there's a sponsorship pack there. Um, but yeah, the more sponsors, the better. We, You know, for us, one of the main parts of our campaign was to make sure that we had as, as many of our competitors logos and you know unite you know the spirit of hospitality it was all about uniting an industry so the more sponsors we can get on our boat the better we've had really good success in our contract catering world with i think most of the caterers robbie have got on board now and said that they'll support it uh, so if we can get that to some different sectors, that'd be fantastic. And, you know, the more money we can raise for hospitality action, the better. So, yeah, everyone, anything at all would be greatly appreciated. Yeah, brilliant. Well, thank you very much, guys. I don't, this is obviously not the end of the story. So I'll be very keen to to maybe have a, a follow-up chat with you maybe a, a month out from the race or something like that. Yeah, we'd love that. See how you're doing. And then also, we did talk about before trying to figure out if we might be able to even do a live uh, yeah. record uh, through your satellite phone uh, at some point. I'm sure we can make that happen. Uh, yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, absolutely. Give, hopefully give you a 10 minutes of respite in amongst all that yeah. drama that you're going to be uh, experiencing. Sorry to keep bringing it up. but <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. Well, thank you so much, guys, and I uh, wish you all the very best with the next phase of your training. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. No worries at all. Take care. Yeah. Cheers. And there we have it. I think we can all agree that this challenge is nothing short of incredible, and I for one will be rooting for their success. Don't forget to head over to the Spirit of Hospitality Instagram page and give them a follow. We'll be back on Wednesday with another cracking story, so a massive thanks for listening, and I'll see you then.